Hello, and welcome to Live Like the World is Dying, your podcast for what feels like the end times. I'm your host, Margaret Kiljoy. I use she and they pronouns. This episode, I'm going to be talking with Ronan, who is a firearms instructor with a lot of combat and training experience, who teaches firearms classes for free to Black and Indigenous and people of color. This episode is mostly focused on introduction to firearms, and especially around for people who may have not traditionally felt comfortable with firearms, whether the culture of firearms or firearms themselves. This podcast is a proud member of the Channel Zero network of anarchist podcasts. Here's a jingle from another show on the network. Rebel Steps is a podcast about taking action. Season one offered insights into how individuals can join movements. Season two focuses on the ways people can work together to build these movements. Organizing in groups presents many challenges. How do you care for each other and protect each other in the midst of political struggle? How do you lift up the voices of everyone in your group? How do you work through the inevitable disagreements? All of these questions have complicated answers. As I explore these questions, you'll hear voices and stories from my community in New York City, spotlighting a range of organizers from the Metropolitan Anarchist Coordinating Council, Outlive Them, Pop Gem, Democratic Socialists of America Libertarian Socialist Caucus, and more. Just like the first season, I return to Paulo Freire's quote, what can we do today so that we can do tomorrow what we cannot do today? But this time with the realization that building our capacity will necessarily happen alongside others. Find Rebel Steps on Spotify, iTunes, or wherever you get your podcasts, and check us out on Twitter or Patreon. Okay, so uh, welcome to the show, and would you be able to introduce yourself with your name, your pronouns, and then any organizational or political affiliations or background that makes sense for what you're going to be talking about today? Sure. Uh, hi, my name's Ronan. I use he or him pronouns. Um, I'm a U.S. Army veteran, and I currently run a Skillshare workshop, training course, etc., what have you, that promotes... Um, basic firearms knowledge and rifle proficiency. Uh, that includes everything from basic safety procedures, disassembly and reassembly of common gun platforms such as AR-15, familiarization with parts and functions or how guns work, mm -hmm. um, fun fundamentals of shooting, and advanced rifle marksmanship or concepts of armed self-defense. Um, all the training that I provide is free for queer and trans, black, indigenous, and people of color in my local area. And um, what what inspires you to focus, I mean, in some ways the answer is obvious, but what inspires you to focus on training those groups in particular? Well, as, um, as a queer person of color who is also a cis man, uh, even I have a hard time finding people or groups who to you know conduct my training with or to stay sharp on my own skills or even to shop for firearms um like i said even as a queer cis person of color that's really difficult to do given the climate of, of this country right now and also the fact that gun culture in general is kind of a toxic cesspool of machismo and transphobia and homophobia sexism and racism um so i guess 
my inspiration for this in general is just the idea that conservative white men shouldn't have a monopoly on sound shooting techniques or access to firearms. That, that makes sense to me a lot. Um, how, how have things changed for you? Like as a, a white trans woman living in a rural area, like going into a gun store has definitely felt real different over the past several years. Like every time I go in, it feels like a little less okay that I'm in there, you know? Um, Mm -hmm. And I haven't even tried to go in since COVID started, but how is, how has your experience changed in the way that you're perceived as a person of color in gun spaces? Uh, well, to be honest, ever since uh, I, I got out of the military probably seven or eight years ago, mm-hmm. and since the day that I was no longer on active duty, um, I, could, I feel like uh, those types of spaces are just not open to me, yeah. that they're more than willing to take my money, and, but they're not willing to treat me, like, treat me the same as I see they treat other customers who are white conservative men. Um, Sometimes I, if I go into a gun store and I drop the veteran thing on them, then everything changes. Mm-hmm. But um, it's the same as any other space, as any other space has changed, even going to bars and things like that. You know, it's mm-hmm. it's just that uh, gun shops are just, like I said, they're a, they're a reflection of gun culture itself. And I mean, you could feel it every time you walk in, just like you said, it's, it's like, it's less and less okay for you to go in there as well. Yeah. Yeah. I do a thing where like the last time I went in, I was like, um, I was like, I'm just getting ammo for my, my father's rifle. And it's like, Oh, your, your father had the rifle too. And, and you know, like, and I didn't want to have conversations with these random people, but I like kind of wanted them to like, have a context for me to make them like less afraid and therefore less threatening to me, you know? Um, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. A lot more people are obviously interested in firearms now than were a year ago. Uh, something to do with the even more bare fascism. That's, uh, <laughs> I, I don't know. Like what, that, yeah. I don't know whether to say like coming or here or like, you know, everything's a, a process, right? There's not like a specific line that we cross where one day right. you wake up and there's like Nazi flags everywhere or whatever. Um, totally. but I think that, I think that a lot of listeners are probably not gun people, but are starting to realize that whether or not they're gun people, self-defense skills and community defense skills are, are necessary. And I was wondering if you could kind of give a basic introduction to the firearm as a self and community defense tool in this kind of context. Sure. Um, I think it's important for people to understand that uh, not everybody necessarily needs or should have access Mm -hmm. to a gun because um, as somebody who's dealt with PTSD myself, uh, there's been periods of time where I didn't want access to my own firearms Mm -hmm. and instead I surrendered them to trusted family and friends because um, easy access to firearms is also um, can be dangerous for you and for your family and for your community if you lack the proper training. Mm -hmm. 
or the proper respect for safety procedures and storage and things like that. Um, I think that if, if anybody is considering purchasing a gun for the first time, that something to consider is that training is something you also need to do. Um, it can't be just as easy as you go into a store and buying a gun and putting it in a safe or a drawer mm -hmm. and then fantasizing about the day that you get to use it. Um, you know, hopefully that time never comes for one. Yeah. And for two, um, the absolute most important thing to keep yourself and your family and your community safe would be to train um, things like basic marksmanship, um, safety procedures, Mm -hmm. and storage which is one that people often overlook that's a big one is making sure that your guns are stored safely and responsibly and that the people in your household who have the training and the responsibility have access to them mm -hmm. what is um I want to talk a little bit more yeah I, I'd like to maybe even before we get into more specifics about guns like get into more about like who shouldn't have guns or how you can kind of decide for yourself if you shouldn't have guns. I know that like one thing that I tell friends is that no matter how mentally healthy you are, like if you get dumped, take the bolt out of your gun and give it to a friend for a while, you know? Um, Absolutely. Like I think that it's, I don't know. I, I, I wonder if you have like ideas around the kind of, the sort of threat modeling that you have to do to determine like, when is it better for me to have a gun and when is it better for me to not have a gun? Um, I would say that if you, and you know, this is up to everybody to check on themselves, but if you are, if you can take an honest look at yourself and say that you perhaps lack um, emotional maturity mm -hmm. and things like that, then maybe you, sh you could reconsider um, the choice of owning a gun. Um, if you suffer from bouts of really, you know, terrible mental health and suicidal ideation and things like that, um, then I would definitely not suggest that you bring a weapon into your life that could uh, in endanger you more than anything else. Mm -hmm. Because uh, I think for most people, when they a lot of people do it for sport and hobbies and things like that. But for a lot of people, they get into guns because they're concerned for their own well-being, for their safety from, you know, people in their lives or political rivals or whatever, mm -hmm. or people who have been doxxed and things like that. Um, you know, you can become the biggest danger to yourself if, uh, if you're not ready for those responsibilities or if you have um, suicidal thoughts. Yeah. and things like that yeah the other thing that yeah what i what i try and do is i try and like sit there and think like what is the most likely thing bad thing that could happen today is the most likely bad thing that could happen today is i get real sad and i'm not someone who really struggles with suicidal ideation but like mm -hmm. or is the most likely thing today that someone is going to decide like i'm gonna kill that trans girl or one of the people who's been doxing me like decides to come up on me right you know? Yeah. Um, yeah, totally. The other thing, uh, that I've heard people talk about, you know, I, I don't talk about guns that much, but one of the times that I was, I was talking about that, a felon, a felon friend of mine reminded me that 
I think it's federally felons are not just like not allowed to own firearms, but like can't have them readily available to them in legally. Yeah. And yeah. So if you like, if your friends or housemates are felons, then you have to also think really seriously about whether or not, you know, you yeah. should get into a car with them with a gun. Cause the answer is probably not because you're probably in most days more likely to get stopped by police than, you know, Yep. attacked or whatever well i mean i guess those two can often go hand in hand totally. and that actually um that actually brings up a point for me is mm-hmm. to understand it's important also to understand the laws around firearm ownership and concealed carry and whether or not you can have one on you um as in like open carry or in your car etc cetera, etc cetera. because mm-hmm. um, i mean the state is always looking to put people in jail and you can become that person really easy if you just slip up one day and you have a loaded gun in your car and it turns out that in your state, that's a felony mm-hmm. what without, are, you know, for permits and such. What are good resources for people to, to find that out? Um, Google. Okay. <laughs> Honestly. No, that I mean, makes that's sense. pretty much where I would go. <laughs> yeah. Um, okay. So let's say someone decides that they are interested in getting a gun like, what are some of the kinds of guns that people would be first and foremost interested in? Uh, I think new gun owners are typically interested in owning a handgun, mm-hmm. which, you know, makes sense because they're compact and you can carry them around if you have the need for that. Uh, they're easy to store, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, I personally would recommend that if you are really serious about, you know, armed self-defense and intend on concealed carrying to defend yourself and things like that, that mm-hmm. you familiarize yourself with um, a basic rifle platform such as the AR-15. Um, my reason being that the fundamentals of shooting are a bit easier to learn and to apply on a rifle platform than they are with a handgun. Mm-hmm. Because there's... I like to say to people that when you fire a handgun, you're adding more variables to the situation instead of less. No, why is that? What, what are the additional variables that you're adding with a handgun? So if I can just get into some like really basic fundamental stuff Mm -hmm. really quick. So the fundamentals of good shooting, right? Mm -hmm. There's four things that everybody should start off with. That's your body position, your aim, your breathing and your trigger squeeze. Mm -hmm. So it's a lot easier for a beginner, in my opinion, anyway, to learn how to hold or to use their body as a steady platform for a gun when it's a rifle, because you can utilize your entire body. You have a buttstock that goes into your shoulder. You have two arms that are pulling the rifle into your body. You have, um, you have your whole body laid down on the ground in a prone position acting as a bipod for that rifle, mm-hmm. um, you know, and when you, when you're in the same situation, you have a handgun, suddenly you don't have a buttstock pushing up against your body to stabilize it for you. Um, you don't have, you don't have nearly the stability when you're looking down the sights of a handgun as you do with a rifle that may have like an optic mm-hmm. like a red dot or a scope or something on it. Um, so whereas you can learn those four basic things, your um, body position, 
aiming, breathing, trigger squeeze. You can learn those four basic things on a rifle platform and apply them very well. Uh, whereas if you're a beginner at this stuff and you pick up a handgun, suddenly you have to worry about your grip. You've got to worry about um, that every little movement made by your breathing or your trigger squeeze is elevated by so much mm-hmm. um, because you just have so much more movement going on with the gun itself. And also that that firearm is not, um, it's not provided the same stable platform, like mm-hmm. I said, cause there's no buttstock. And also just every mistake that you make basically is elevated so much more. No, that makes sense. I, it's funny. One of the reasons I recommend to people starting with a rifle is mostly just out of like, I'm not a particularly experienced trainer. And so, but if someone wants to go shooting for the first time, it seems like, yeah, people want to shoot a handgun because it's less intimidating. And I'm trying to explain that. I'm like, no, 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 no. This rifle kicks so much less. You're going to hit the target. And so you're going to like feel good about yourself because you hit the target. Right. And also it's way harder to point in the wrong direction. Like yeah. if I'm, <laughs> if I'm handing someone a gun for the first time and I've, I, you know, I explained to them about like not flagging people or whatever, but I'm like, I feel a lot safer myself. If, Same. <laughs> if they're holding a rifle first. Same. That, um, you know, that extra 20 inches or whatever it is on mm-hmm. that barrel really makes a difference when it's somebody who's brand new to the concept of muzzle awareness. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, I just, I just think that it's a lot easier to apply all those basic things on a much bigger weapon. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, something a lot easier for a trainer to observe. Mm-hmm. And, um, and also just, you know, bigger parts um, and less, um, how do I say this? You know, if you take apart um, an MMP, if you take apart a Glock, and if you take apart a Sig Sauer, et cetera, et cetera, they're all going to be just a little different. Mm-hmm. These, are, these are, are handguns for, for the same. Yeah, these are these are handguns that I'm testing yeah. here. But if you pick up any AR-15 of any platform, um, it's always going to be the same. Okay. And it makes it really easy to uh, see all the parts inside and outside and to understand how they work. Which is, And then you can take that knowledge and apply it to basically any other gun. Okay, that makes sense. It, it is interesting because it also goes against the, like, you know, the AR-15 is the, like, scary gun in someone who's new to guns like i think that a lot of people who are newly radicalized are coming from a position where a year or two ago they might have even been anti-gun and now they're starting to realize what the the, my favorite version is the tolkien quote where you know a woman in lord of the rings says those without swords can still die upon them um yep and yeah, so it's just like interesting to be like, oh no, so here's the AR-15. It's like the simple gun. And people are like, no, that's the terrifying gun. Um, yeah. Do you have like a advice for people who are kind of gun shy, who are like really nervous about um, encountering guns for the first time? Um, only that through training mm-hmm. and familiarization, you know, those are the things that are going to make you more comfortable being around them, more comfortable storing them and give you confidence when or if, and hopefully never that you have to fire one. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I understand, I guess it's just the, 
yeah, how the AR-15 became like the scary tactical black gun. Yeah. Um, when to me, I think an untrained person with a handgun is a lot scarier than yeah. somebody with even like minimal training with a rifle. Mm-hmm. That makes sense to me. Um, so what are the advantages and disadvantages of rifles versus handguns for a self or community defense point of view? Like if, if people are talking about not necessarily like, you know, not necessarily like joining a community defense group, but maybe like interested in being prepared for a wide variety of potential situations. Right. Um, In, in that case, I mean, I would, again, I would still, I would just recommend uh, familiarization and proficiency with the rifle Mm -hmm. because I mean, for one, for example, with an AR-15, you can hit a target at about 500 meters out mm-hmm. with the right shooter. <laughs> mm-hmm. And with any given handgun that I can think of right now, I probably couldn't hit anything more than 50 yards away. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's a big thing. And also, back to what we were saying before, it's a lot easier, and there's plenty of examples throughout history to show this, that a community that is minimally trained with mm-hmm. rifles can definitely defend itself. And I mean, I'm just trying to imagine my neighborhood, um, a bunch of untrained folks or minimally trained folks with handguns attempting to defend themselves or our community is probably not going to go very well mm-hmm. as opposed to some, you know, if everybody here had rifles and minimal training. That's actually, that's a really interesting point. And like, cause one of the things that I think turns a lot of people away from preparedness is that we all kind of know that gear is less important than skills, right? But it's also really intimidating to be like, not only do you need to carry a knife, but you need to learn how to sharpen it, which is like probably true, right? And then it's like, not only do you need to carry first aid kit, you need to learn how to use it. And then it it just keeps escalating though to this degree where it's like, not everyone is going to be spending all of their time getting like, gearing up for specific types types of conflict because like even like most preparedness you know most sort of let's go with apocalyptic or worst case scenarios don't specifically involve like running around with rifles but many of them do right and so some people might be like and maybe i'm just you know speaking for myself as someone who like doesn't i train but it's like not my thing right and and so in some ways i almost feel like that is a really good advantage of um of rifles that you're talking about. That's really interesting. Yeah. Um, so tell me about the, the AR-15. Like, well, okay, so like one of the things that... Actually, I, I want to run this past you as a theory. Like right now, when people have been asking me, what gun do I get? Like normally I've been saying for a while that I'm like, okay, like if you want to take self-defense seriously then and you don't want to like spend all of your time being specialized about it, you should get an AR-15, which shoots a two two three or five five six round. It's more or less the same thing. Um, right. And you should get a nine millimeter handgun. And the reason that I would say those two things is, you know, some like gun nerd stuff about like over penetration and the ballistics and et cetera, et cetera. But the reason I would say that is because they were the most commonly available ammunition. Right. Um, right. Right. Right now. I, I don't think I could tell someone that that's the best way to train because it's uh, for anyone who isn't involved in gun stuff, at least right now as we're recording it, it's like 
almost impossible to get any kind of reasonably priced, especially AR-15 or 9mm ammunition. Um, yeah. Do you have like recommendations around that, around um, either training methods that require substantially less live fire or even like, is it a decent idea to look into alternative calibers if someone's getting a gun for the first time just so that they can actually train or I don't know. What do you think? As far as alternative calibers go, mm-hmm. um, you know, I'm sure you've checked, uh, checked online to buy ammo and stuff and pretty much everything is constantly out of stock or getting sold out really fast and mm-hmm. a lot of price gouging going on no matter what kind of ammo you're looking for. So looking for less common types of ammo probably isn't the way to go mm-hmm. as much as just being vigilant about finding affordable ammo in common um, for common guns like the nine mil or the two, two, three. I also, in my trainings, I recommend people get an AR 15 that shoots two, two, three or five, five, six as well. Mm-hmm. And also a nine millimeter handgun. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so I think you've, you we're on the same page as far as that goes. Oh, great. Um, but as far as training goes, without having to spend all your ammo and money, uh, there's so much you can do. Mm-hmm. Um, it's actually one of my favorite parts of training folks is that I can say, like, we can do so much in our living rooms mm-hmm. <laughs> that'll make you so much so much of a better shot and give you so much confidence before your first time you ever put real round, rounds down range. Mm-hmm. Um, some things that you can do... I don't know the exact name for it, but if you search on Google for something called the uh, washer and cleaning rod exercise, Mm -hmm. um, that's a really good exercise for anybody who has access to AR-15 and doesn't want to spend all their rounds at the range. Mm -hmm. Um, You basically put a cleaning rod down your barrel, or excuse me, through your barrel, Mm -hmm. out of it, the same way that a bullet flows. And at the end of your cleaning rods... You have a flat piece of metal. Um, typically, cleaning rod sets come with like a uh, an attachment so that you can put like a cloth through it or something. Mm-hmm. Uh, you can rest a paint or a dime or a washer or something like that at the end. And what you do is you put your rifle on a supported platform mm-hmm. and you basically practice your trigger squeeze and your breathing. And you perform your breathing, you perform your trigger squeeze, and there should be so little movement from your hand to the rifle that that dime or penny or whatever's at the end of that cleaning rod should stay still. Oh, interesting. It shouldn't shouldn't fall over. If you can perform that, you know, a few Mm -hmm. consecutive times, then that to me as a trainer says that you're breathing well, Mm -hmm. that you're supporting the rifle well, and that your trigger squeeze is solid Mm -hmm. and that you're not yanking the trigger back and that you're basically applying the fundamentals very soundly. Um, There's also things like for folks that are uh, into handguns and training and stuff, um, there's plenty of drills you can do at home, such as uh, draw drills, just practicing your draw, Mm -hmm. practicing your grip, um, playing, quote unquote, with your handgun. um, So, you know, unloading it, loading it, Mm -hmm. you know, using an empty magazine as in not having live ammunition in the room when you do this, (laughs) Mm -hmm. but just practicing putting your empty mag into your handgun and um practicing your draw practicing your trigger squeeze um there's training devices like dry fire bolts and lasers and all kinds of stuff like that that you can buy Mm -hmm. to train at home Uh, i don't have any of that stuff i just train using 
the method that we just went over with uh, cleaning rods mm-hmm. and a washer. And I practice my draw and my trigger squeeze in the mirror. Okay. Yeah, I actually, I recently got one of those little laser bullets for my 9mm handgun uh, just out of, nice. because I was like, I don't have enough ammunition to train. <laughs> like, yeah. <laughs> I And I like, you know, when, when COVID started, I was like, oh, I'll just train a little slower and COVID will let up and then no, instead uh, add more social crisis and uh, everyone's buying up all the ammo. And especially people yeah. that probably who don't like us are buying up all the ammo. Um, yeah, exactly. And so I, I tried getting one of the little, you know, it's a, it's a bullet that sits in the chamber, in the chamber of the gun, or actually sits in the barrel of the gun. And then um, the, well, I actually might be wrong about that, but, and then the action strikes it and it momentarily puts a little red dot on the wall or wherever I'm pointing it, or hopefully wherever I'm pointing it. It's how I learn whether or not right. it shoots where I point it. Um, right. And I, go ahead. No, Sorry. no, no, it's okay. Um, yeah. And, and I've, I've been getting some benefit out of it. I don't yet know. I mean, I'm okay. I'll just like selfishly ask the thing that I've been struggling with the most, uh, I'm not particularly accurate with my handgun. I have a subcompact, so it's a very light gun and it's, uh, it recoils therefore more than a heavy gun does. Um, I got it because I want to be able to conceal. Um, and I specifically like want to be able to conceal in women's clothes and, you know, other clothes that are less, uh, friendly to concealing. And I, um, anticipate the recoil really badly and consistently shoot low left to the point where I'm tempted and I won't, I'm tempted to just aim high, right. Um, right. But I'm, I'm wondering if you have uh, advice for that. This is my selfish question of the day. That's really funny. Cause uh, I was about to say, I bet you're shooting low and left. <laughs> um, now, you know, I'm right-handed and <laughs> yes, <laughs> yes. <laughs> um, I would say that something to work on would be your grip. Mm-hmm. That's probably the biggest thing usually with people mm-hmm. uh, who are shooting low and left. It's, it's all in your grip. We all have this, uh, intuitive idea that we i don't know like people like you put your hands together and you take your index fingers and you point them forward and that's a gun mm-hmm. right okay so and then we apply that subconsciously so when we have an actual handgun in our hands when really the grip that you want to take with a handgun is so much more unnatural and mm-hmm. uncomfortable quite frankly um really hard to explain over voice of course but if you do some searching on YouTube, which, you know, I apologize for anybody out there who's Mm going to search for this stuff and gets fucking bombarded with Trump ads and right wing bullshit. Mm -hmm. Um, Just, you know, look up common grip mistakes and there's plenty of videos that'll show you that your non firing hand uh, really has to be in this sort of unintuitive position. Mm -hmm. But what, what you get out of it is that basically if you were to take the gun out of your hand and then just look at your hands and the way they are, um, there's almost, you know, you, you don't see any of the gun other than the slide. Mm-hmm. You are completely encompassing the entire um, pistol grip receiver area. Um, that's where I would start. If you're shooting low and left, work on your grip, look up some grip stuff on YouTube and such. Okay. Um, and you'll see, you'll see, you'll see what I'm talking about. It's a, uh, you, that non-firing hand is going to be, tilted mm-hmm. forward so that your thumb runs parallel to your slide mm-hmm. um that's just for reference so y'all know what to be looking for 
Okay. And uh, you're going to be a much better shot after that. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Almost guaranteed. I've been trying things like um, loading one bullet, uh, taking two magazines, loading one bullet in one of them, and then like mm-hmm. shuffling them back and forth and then loading the gun with my eyes closed so that I don't know whether or not it's going to fire. Um as That's a way good. to like trick myself into not knowing, into not anticipating recoil, you know, it's a, right. it's a kind of weirdly nerve wracking thing to be like, to pull a trigger and be like, is this going to shoot? I don't, I don't know. Guns are very, uh, <laughs> uh, I, when I was beginning my, uh, my army basic training, I flinched mm-hmm. so bad. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, and now I, I like to think I'm a really good shot now. Okay. So, I mean, it's something that anybody can get over. Okay. You know? um, that's that's something also that I go over in each one of my trainings. Uh, before anybody fires a live round, I always make sure to say, do not anticipate the bang. Mm-hmm. The bang's going to happen. It's going to be loud. It's mm-hmm. going to be abrasive. You might flinch. You might close your eyes or something, but it's just something that you got to work on. Mm-hmm. But, I mean, it's, you know, a lot of people do it. And a lot of people get over it and become really good shots. Yeah. Um. So one of the questions that I feel like people are going to have and, and I like talking about because like one of the annoying things about guns is it becomes really easy to be like excited about the accessories and shit. But um, oh God, yeah. <laughs> so so I, I kind of have to ask your opinion about that kind of stuff. And, and also like, OK, let's say someone is getting a self-defense handgun and a like a and or an AR-15. What are the what are the things besides the base gun that people should be? looking for for them um you should be looking for some really cool stuff Mm -hmm. like a cleaning kit (laughs) a tactical cleaning kit right an operator an operator yeah like a veteran owned company cleaning (laughs) kit (laughs) meant for green berets or whatever Uh um you should get targets Mm -hmm. um you should get a training device like the nine millimeter laser round that you have mm-hmm. um, stuff like that's really important just as much as i mean if you want to deck out your rifle and make it look cool that's awesome too but i mean as far as accessories go i really mm-hmm. keep it like even for myself and i'm someone who has you know a decade plus of firearms training experience mm-hmm. and combat experience and i've i i have a foregrip mm-hmm. <laughs> and a sling okay that's it and you, <laughs> you just know? shoot and with I the irons a, or i i have a very basic red dot site that came with my Bushmaster AR-15. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, it's, it's just like, like you said before, it's a lot more about skill and training than it's going to be about like accessories and gear and mm-hmm. cool guy shit like that. There aren't heat seeking bullets that just like automatically hit the target. I'm, I'm confused. I've, I've heard there's some that shoot fire. Like, oh, okay. Have a need for that. Then, you know, I say, buy them. yeah, <laughs> I think those are illegal, but we would never advocate anything Maybe. illegal on this <laughs> show. We're always only talking about anything illegal we're talking about in a society without government, obviously, which yes. would somehow be bad. Um, Purely theoretical. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, the the red dot is actually, was for me a game changer, though, I have to admit. Um, in terms of, I definitely try and train with the iron sights. Iron sights are like the sort of traditional sights that are on your, like, well, if you're my age that were on your like Nintendo gun, um, yeah. Where you line up the three posts or whatever. 
a red dot site um i had never heard of until i i more recently got back into firearms pretty much after i got doxxed and mm-hmm. uh the red dot site just like kind of like like people were always i was i would watch these ads where people were like no shooting an ar-15 is fun or something and i was like why would a gun be fun <laughs> you know and then you're like you shoot an ar-15 with a red dot and you're like oh yeah no it just it just goes where you tell it to like you just put the red dot on the target <laughs> then you pull the trigger and then it hits the thing um, it's like you get your sight picture and you squeeze the trigger and then it goes to the thing and it happens yeah as compared it's to such like a difference <laughs> yeah as compared to shooting a subcompact handgun with iron sights you know which is like yeah. actually hard um and I'm sure that there's distances at which an AR-15 with a red dot is also substantially hard, you know? Um, yeah. But I, I guess I, 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 I've been, even my friends who are kind of like also dismissive of gear are like, yeah, you probably want a red dot on your, on your gun. Totally. I, oh, one more thing to mm-hmm. add to uh, the accessories list there. Mm-hmm. If you intend on having, a, or even uh, iron sights, if you're, you should get a uh, laser boresight. I highly recommend a laser boresight. And what that is, is basically, um, it's a laser device that either they're made to simulate the shape of like any given round Mm -hmm. for your gun, or there's like kits that you can change the size of them and stuff. But basically they go into your chamber, just like a live round does. Mm -hmm. And it shoots a laser so that, and and you set it up at a you set up a target about twenty five meters out. For example, for my AR fifteen, um, I set up a target twenty five meters out. Mm-hmm. I put my laser bore sight into my chamber. I stabilize the rifle using a vice or sandbags or whatever you've got. Mm-hmm. And you line up that laser with the bullseye of your target. Mm-hmm. Okay. Then you look through your sights, your your backup sights, your red dot, what have you. Um, and basically all you have to do is you're going to see the difference from where your red dot is and where that laser is Mm -hmm. pointed at, and you're going to adjust your laser until it's right on that red dot. And then you're, you're, uh, zeroed in and you don't have to waste time shooting groups Uh or anything like that. And that, that saves a ton of money, you know, and a a laser bore site is probably about $30. I think I got mine for about 30 bucks and maybe Mm -hmm. it's not the best one, but I zeroed in and put a group right through the bullseye in, you know, probably a quarter inch group. Okay. Yeah. I'm a, I'm a believer ever since then. Yeah. No, that makes me want them. I'm not particularly good at zeroing my sights. Uh, you know, I have my father's old, you know, 22 Magnum hunting rifle and it comes and the scope fell off of it. Right. And I was like, oh, I'll just put the scope back on. And I was like, gee, why do I always miss? And I'm like, oh, right. Because I haven't re-zeroed my sights. And so then I tried to re-zero my sights and I'm like, wow, I'm just, and again, it's like, I, I eventually zeroed my sights, right? But it's like, it's not a skill set that I like specifically am like, like I'm not trying to have that be my thing is that I'm particularly good at zeroing sights on rifles, you know? Um, So if there's something that can kind of, oh shit, I just lost internet. Okay. Okay. We just had internet blink and I don't know what part of that I'm going to edit out. But, okay, so... I guess I have a few more questions about kind of specifics around guns, but I, I also want to talk more about the role of firearms in 
in preparation? Like, like for example, what inspires you right now to be focusing on firearms training? Like what, what do you, um, what's, what's the point? Like what's, how do you, how do you sell someone on that as a important skill? Uh, well, I'd say it's probably just as important as, you know, a lot of other skills when it comes to community preparedness. Mm-hmm. Um, I wouldn't say it's the most important by far. I think there's so much more that we can do to support each other and to keep each other safe than guns. Mm-hmm. Um, my, it's just like I said before, is accessibility is a big reason why I focus on these things mm-hmm. um, is because that, you know, the general American culture surrounding guns is highly sus mm-hmm. and white supremacist as fuck. So, you know, I think that's, that's kind of where I'm coming from and why I focus so much on this stuff as well as my own background. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, like I said, I'm a U.S. Army veteran. Um, I've got a couple years of combat experience in Afghanistan. Mm-hmm. Um, and I just, you know, as a former you know, infantrymen, I, I just happen to know a lot about guns. So that's just where I just happen to have these skills. Mm-hmm. And so that's pretty much what draws me to continue to train folks and to introduce these things to people in my community now. I mean, that makes sense to me. It's like, you know, there's sort of a reason that I didn't do a firearms episode until I think this will be like the 15th episode or so of the show, because I don't want people mm-hmm. to think like, this is what matters, right? But I also don't want to shy away from the fact that on some level it it does matter. And I really appreciate the 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 work you do as a trainer because I know that that's something that I've run across a lot is that there are a lot of people who are interested in gaining these skills, but basically just like don't feel safe around the kinds of people who are traditionally teaching these skills. Or even if it's like a leftist teacher, let's say, like, you know, still not necessarily feeling great around, like, white cis men being the people to train you, you know? Um, right. Like, no offense to the people who are white and cis who are training people. Um, I'm curious if you've had, like, yeah, I'm curious if you've had, like, experiences as a trainer, as a person of color that has kind of helped you be able to better connect with people to teach. Um, I'd say just my lived experience Mm -hmm. as a person of color and as a queer person Mm -hmm. living on the West coast. Um, you know, uh, I think like, it's like you said, when people go like people who seek out these trainings and stuff that even if you were to happen upon a leftist white cis man who's giving this training, he still might not be sensitive Mm -hmm. to certain language and boundaries and, Mm-hmm. you know other things like that that maybe they wouldn't understand because they don't have experience in the queer community or mm-hmm. maybe they don't have friends and community members who are trans and so they i don't know like um like the, the tendency to treat every one of your trainees as another cis white person mm-hmm. you know that's what i think i attempt to not do <laughs> That makes sense. Like even down to stuff like I think about, um, you know, when I was looking to get concealed carry, you know, it was like all of the information on concealed carry is like never off body carry where your gun is not directly on you. It's in a bag or a purse or something. And it's like, 
Shoulder carry is bad. Ankle carry is bad. Everything is bad except inside the waistband and ideally appendix carry is like the kind of main piece of information that is available to me, right? And I'm like, a lot of my clothes don't have waistbands. And also a lot of the clothes that specifically I more feel the need to go armed when I wear, you know, because if if I'm wearing pants and a t-shirt, like a lot of people don't know that I'm, you know, they probably just read me as like a kind of weird cis guy or something. Right. And, and so I'm not actually in nearly as much danger as I am as like when I'm, you know, wearing a dress or a, you know, miniskirt or something. And so I actually like feel the need to have a gun more when I'm in these places. I don't know. And so it's just like, yeah, I can see that there's like, there were definitely a lot of assumptions that people had around the way to handle guns that I, I felt like didn't apply to me as a, as a trans woman. And then like, totally. I know that um, I was talking with a, a sex worker friend who is non-binary and, but is, you know, works as a woman or whatever. Right. And, mm-hmm. and they were talking about how they were like, at least in North Carolina, the laws are, you're allowed to use deadly force to defend yourself from uh, basically like threat of death or rape, more or less. I'm not a lawyer. Don't take that as the rules. But my my friend, the sex worker, was like, there's no way that any court would find me, uh, would find it as justified self-defense if I killed a client who was going to rape me, you know? And so for them, they were like, the the balance of whether or not they should have a firearm is wildly different. And the sort of like non-sex working or especially like straight, like masculine position would be like, Oh, of course you just totally carry a gun and then you're, then you're good. Yeah, totally. That actually kind of brings up another point for me is that just because, you know, you're armed mm-hmm. and you're trained and maybe you train once a month or every couple months or this and that, mm-hmm. you know, having guns around you doesn't necessarily mean that the dangers won't still be there. Mm-hmm. And and that, you know, training with them is really the important thing because just having them doesn't make you safer. Mm-hmm. Um, it doesn't lessen any threat to you if just because you're armed it makes you feel like you're a lot taller it makes you feel like you're a lot (laughs) taller and like you could take on the world but uh you know the first time you go to defend yourself and your round doesn't hit your target Mm -hmm. and your target shoots back Mm -hmm. (laughs) or continues moving towards you because it's not a piece of paper Mm -hmm. you know then things change drastically and also the law yeah Um, you know that's there's a lot of us like it's like you said there's a lot of assumptions when it comes to a lot of people who train, you know, firearm stuff is that they're training other cis white men mm-hmm. or they're training um, cis white women, mm-hmm. you know, and they put themselves into these very typical and hypothetical situations where they say that you can apply your self-defense. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, it's just not, it doesn't reflect reality for most people and especially not people who are queer, trans, black, indigenous people of color. Yeah. Could you talk a little bit more about how firearms work specifically for uh, black, indigenous people of color, like in terms of self-defense and also like who the law works for and things like that? Well, we all know who the law works for. Mm -hmm. Um, So, you know, and that's, 
that's just that's another entire other topic to consider is that you know if you are in these communities that have been made marginalized by white supremacy there's no guarantee that because you are able to physically defend yourself that the law is going to be on your side mm-hmm. um just like your friend who's a sex worker and especially a sex worker who's a non-binary person um you know the law wouldn't recognize the situation that they were in just because they were doing sex work mm-hmm. um so i think you know I think it's really important for people to consider and to really get to know their local laws so that they can, you know, follow them as closely as possible. Mm -hmm. But it's really, it's just, it's like another, it's just another thing you should really be considering before you own one is, um, in the event that I need to defend myself with a gun, am I also ready for the consequences afterwards? Mm Mm-hmm. You know, because unfortunately, the law doesn't work for folks like us. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, like, one of the things about self-defense in that in that situation, then, is you really have to look at, like, I mean, yeah, I'd, I'd rather be in jail than dead, right? Um, right. So, on some level, it still works out in my favor, sort of. Although, of course, we can, you know, watch that the police uh, regularly, extrajudicially kill, um, especially... Uh, black and indigenous people of color for like perceived firearm threats or whatever, you know? Um, but, and also killed a white anti-fascist, um, for the same thing recently. Um, so one of the things that I was thinking about though, with, with guns, one of the reasons that I, I want to talk about them on this show is also because like, let's say that you don't want to own a gun and there's so many reasons why you wouldn't want to own a gun. And there's so many reasons why you would, right. But like everyone's, you know, everyone's threat model is always going to be really different. Like I didn't own guns for years, partly because I was like, well, I, I was a full-time traveler and most of my negative, scary interactions were with the police. And so yeah. in a situation where, and I would be incredibly protected by my, my skin color, but not entirely protected by my skin color. Um, in situations where I'm being searched regularly, every time that I have to say, yes, I have a firearm is really dramatically changing the situation right and so totally like in situations where my main threat model is police i i don't i didn't want to fuck with guns um and then when my threat model moved over to people doxing me and uh and transphobic harassment you know when that became more common than police interactions that's when it made more sense for me to have a gun like like it's it's sort of telling to me that most of the you know like homeless population for example who deal with a a very violent environment um, and face an incredible amount of violence from housed people on a regular basis, like still don't tend to own firearms as far as I can tell. Um, Probably because they are harassed by police daily, you know? It's also the issue of, you know, secure storage and Mm -hmm. um, having your belongings on you all the time, not to mention the money that it takes to buy one and, to have ammo and to have a permit to carry it around with you and how that works when you're a houseless person. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's a, a really good point. But one of the reasons that I think that even people who don't want guns for whatever million reasons might want to learn about how to be comfortable with guns is that even more than like a, you know, if, if, if the point of the show on some level is, is individual and community preparation for lots of different things that could go wrong 
knowing how to like, even just like tell if a gun is loaded is really useful, you know, and knowing how to like, like, even if you're like a a full on pacifist and you are attacked and managed to like disarm the person, which is well beyond the scope of what I could ever teach over a podcast. Um, (laughs) But like, you know, for whatever dumb reason, being able to take someone's gun and unload it, you know, is, is, is useful. It's useful to, to understand this tool that is very, very common in our society. So totally. Where do people, obviously now everyone who's listening knows exactly everything they need to know about shooting guns, but um, if they decide (laughs) they need more training uh, and especially people who, you know, aren't uh, white cis men, how do people go about looking for training? Uh, I would say that if you have military veterans in your community, friends or people at your job mm-hmm. that you trust and things like that, I'd say they're probably your best bet to get some like really solid foundational training. Um, you know, I know they're not, you can't just like pluck one out of the air or whatever, but <laughs> I think that any, pretty much any given military veteran Mm-hmm. in the last 20 years or so is probably going to have plenty of a combat experience and two um, just having this kind of stuff drilled into their head for years mm-hmm. um, that they probably don't even utilize or talk about very much, but that they'd probably be willing to share. Okay. Um, and if they're your friends or coworkers, et cetera, then you already have access to them mm-hmm. and that's probably your best bet. Um, other than that, there's, Again, I'm, I hate to keep referring back to this, but there's YouTube mm-hmm. and Google and there's, you know, U.S. military marksmanship texts and all that stuff is all open source. And it's all fairly easy to understand, you know, via text or video. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, I think if people are seeking out training and having a problem and, if, um, uh, you know, getting training because training is expensive. Mm-hmm. Um, it's taught by plenty of shitty people. Mm-hmm. Um there's very unsafe environments for people to learn how to use guns and it really sucks. So I would say that if that's your issue, then there's always the internet. Okay. Um, I know when I first, when I was in the military back in the late two thousands, we definitely did not have YouTube videos to show us how to do the things. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so that stuff is it's just a lot easier to access now um, with the internet. And that that's honestly my where I would send, where I would tell somebody to look for training. Okay. Yeah. I feel like the majority of my uh, exposure to right-wing media is um, YouTube and like gun tube in particular. And like, you know what I I do a lot of research for this show where I'm like, okay, you know, I did all this research on body armor. So I watched a lot of white guys shoot a lot of armor and yeah, (laughs) spend a lot of their time making weird jokes against trans people in the process. And, you know, um, it's very creepy to watch. And, and, you know, I I assume this is even more so for someone who's racialized by society, but like, it's very creepy to watch people expertly present their skills that you believe they are training because they believe that Antifa is the devil. Um, and that they, you know, and obviously some of them like literally dream about race war. Um, not totally. everyone on gun tube, of course, you know, and it's, it's, I don't know. Um, yeah. We wouldn't want to make sweeping generalizations about right wing <laughs> gun culture, but I would say that 
in most training environments I've been in, there was plenty of casual sexism and homophobia and transphobia mm-hmm. and to the point where they utilize it <laughs> as their training, you know, like that's their way of um, getting everybody comfortable and familiar with each other as you all have, you know, you're all comfortable with sexist jokes. Mm -hmm. i've been in plenty of environments like that and it's just it's so shitty yeah yeah and down to like stuff like you were talking earlier about the the self-defense scenarios that are presented and it's always like the thug from the city is like (laughs) breaking into your house you know and yeah (laughs) it's so thinly veiled that i'm like i almost wonder why they veil it and i i know why they veil it um (laughs) but it's so thinly veiled come on like just say what you mean and be a piece of shit and i i think it's veiled most of the time because they themselves probably don't want to admit how afraid they are of black people Mm -hmm. is what i get out of it when somebody says you know this imaginary fantasy thug from the city breaks into your home and you and your white wife are in bed Mm -hmm. what are you gonna do you know i mean that's it's pretty easy to see where they're coming from with that kind of fantasy scenario talk when it comes to armed self-defense. Yeah. When really any, you know, I mean, I'm not going to say the U S military is at all in an apolitical organization, but the training and the language around it is so much different. um, Oh, interesting. In regards to scenarios that way. I mean, you know, it's, it depends on your trainer, but half the time it's very, um, very dry language mm-hmm. that doesn't actually say what you're training for. Mm-hmm. It's uh, engaging a target downrange. It's not shooting a person who's threatening you. Which is a whole other interesting, like, euphemism, you know, it, it, this, this, like, because there's this idea that, and, and uh, you know, you obviously have more firsthand experience with this than I do, but there's this idea that the military is essentially teaching you to, like, not like think of people as objects, but like not think about them as people, you know, and like dehumanization. Yeah. And so it's, it's like this idea it's, it's how bad is right-wing culture if dehumanization is a step up from like, or like, you know, like (laughs) then like being personifying this enemy, you know? Um, Yeah. That's, that's dark. Yeah. Like one of the, I mean, it's funny too, right? Because like even this show, like even being like, oh, these fucking right-wingers, right? Which I, I, I feel like one of the things that terrifies me in society right now is this intense polarization and this intense, like in some ways, like as a, you know, as an anarchist, it's like, okay, here's this opportunity in that people are no longer centrists. Um, but yeah. there's also this like sense of, it's really changed for me how much I feel like the people around me in the small Southern town that I live in, like I feel like it went from probably like 1% want to kill me for being a weird lefty trans person to like 5%, maybe 10%, which is a dramatic increase, you know? Yeah, definitely. I don't know. How do, how do you deal with it? Uh, well, I mean, uh, I understand what you're saying because mm-hmm. You know, maybe it's just me getting older and being a little less naive Mm -hmm. about politics and how much they really affect our everyday lives. Mm -hmm. But um, I would say, you know, the past five or six years, I would say pretty much since Obama was president that that 
you know, I've found myself to be more on the receiving end of harassment, mm -hmm. um, more on the receiving end of casual racism. Mm -hmm. And not to mention, you know, just seeing, you know, stuff online or whatever, um, you know, the uh, vitriol aimed at, you know, people of color. Mm -hmm. That is so much more just kind of outlandish and bare and not not hidden and not um yeah i don't know how to say it's just yeah like they're not hiding it yeah you know and so i would say that's something i've noticed for sure is that um the hate is much more apparent yeah yeah so then i guess the question is did it you know is it actually new racists or is it just like out of the closet racists you know um, I think it's a bit of both mm -hmm. and also a new generation of uh, radicalized young white men mm -hmm. who, who, who find, who, you know, we have a new generation now of crypto fascists and such who use irony mm -hmm. as their veil, which I think that's always been a tool of the right is irony. It's plausible deniability is what that is, I think. Mm -hmm. But now with like a whole new generation of, people who have just like learned their own language, their own like racist, hateful language that they can use with each other and use it against you and then pull it back and say they didn't really mean it. Yeah. Yeah. It's the being able to like, yeah, say I didn't mean it is. I just like, I want people to be about what they're about. You know, like it's very frustrating to me. <laughs> I'm like, like, look, you fucking hate me. Just admit you fucking hate me. Like, <laughs> yeah, I don't know. Um, Okay, there's only one other one other thing on my list about gun like like physical gun stuff. Uh at the very beginning you mentioned safe storage of guns. What does that look like? Um to me at least it looks like a safe. Mm -hmm. You know, it's a safe that only I have the codes to. Mm -hmm. Um for anybody else it could like say if you live in like a communal living situation, you know, you and your other trained responsible gun owners have access to that same safe mm -hmm. um there's also things like uh, safes are expensive they're big they're heavy as fuck you know there's mm -hmm. a lot of reasons people don't get safes um there's also like you know carrying cases where you can put like two rifles in like a big hard plastic thing and it locks and you can put a bunch of padlocks on it and stuff like that mm -hmm. um ammo storage is another thing um, I keep my ammo stored separately in a different safe than mm -hmm. my rifles. Um, I've always been told to store them separately. To be honest, I don't really know the reason. I assume the logic is that if you lose one safe, you didn't lose everything. Or at least they didn't get away with your ammo and your guns. Oh, I always assumed it was so that like neighborhood kid breaks into the your house and breaks into the safe. doesn't, Which is already kind of a yeah. high bar for the neighborhood kid. Um <laughs> But uh, then they don't get to shoot anything. I don't know. Yeah, pretty much. If it, you know somebody manages to steal your safe or break into your safe, then they have your guns or your ammo, but they don't have both, and they can't readily mm -hmm. use your weapons. Mm -hmm. Okay. Well, is there any other like kind of final thoughts? Like someone who's new to shooting or. Uh... Yeah, I don't know. Is, is there anything that we, we haven't covered? I mean, there's everything we haven't covered, but... <laughs> um, I would say that, if, I guess, like, a few, like, takeaways. Mm -hmm. 
would be that the if you're interested in learning about guns mm-hmm. and you want to have basic skills and things like that, um, learn your basic safety. Number one, all guns are loaded. Mm-hmm. Treat all guns as if they're loaded at all times. Number two is to have muzzle awareness. Never point a gun at anything you do not intend to destroy. Mm-hmm. Um, number three, keep your finger off the trigger. Your finger should never touch your trigger until you have a target in your sights. Mm-hmm. And always be 100% sure of your target and what is behind it. That's a huge one <laughs> okay. to remember because you can miss. Bullets go through things, et cetera, et cetera. Um, just like we said earlier, I think if you're somebody new to guns and you're like really serious about preparedness that I would recommend and that you intend on, you know, training and carrying mm-hmm. a gun for your protection or whatever, then I recommend getting yourself a rifle and also getting yourself a nine millimeter handgun or whatever caliber uh, suits you best. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, so learn basic safety procedures. Learn how to take them apart and put them back together. Mm-hmm. Um, familiar, familiarize yourself with the parts and what they do, mm-hmm. as in how guns do the thing. Um, learn the fundamentals of shooting. Those four big things being body position, aiming, breathing, and trigger squeeze. Mm-hmm. And when, you're, when you can do all that and when you can learn those things and apply them solidly and soundly, then you can move on to concepts of armed self-defense or advanced rifle marksmanship. Okay. Um, and those are all things that are really easily researched. Uh, I'm really sorry for all of you that are going to go on YouTube and be bombarded with all <laughs> kinds of right-wing shit. <laughs> I really recommend you use a VPN. <laughs> yeah. For when you make those searches, so that way you're not constantly just getting Trump ads and all kinds of crazy bullshit coming up on your youtube suggested list i get ads now that are like remember to buy this body armor before inauguration and i'm like that is really oddly specific and really terrifying (laughs) like i get ads from gun stores that say things like be ready be safe (laughs) and it's kind of loud it's just i don't understand what you're implying (laughs) yeah (laughs) okay and then the 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 other safety thing that i i I feel like I, i have to remind people way more often than I wish I did is um, wear eyes and ears, wear eye protection that is like ballistic rated glasses. They're dirt cheap and wear um, like, like $3 cheap and And gloves. Oh, okay. Oh, interesting. I actually don't shoot with gloves. Should I be shooting with gloves? I don't think you need to, if you Mm -hmm. can manage just fine without them, but I, I find they help a ton with grip um, and just being able to like, Mm -hmm have really good um, productive training sessions, Mm -hmm. you know, Um, you know, when the shit hits the fan and you got to use your gun as self-defense, you're not gonna put your gloves on first, but right. But it's good to know all the fundamentals and everything and be able to apply them really well Mm -hmm. because you had gloves on when you were training. No, that makes sense. And you also, I also, we just covered the fact that I don't have a good solid grip on my, you know, so like I will definitely (laughs) try, uh, try gloves. Um, (laughs) And then uh, ear protection, you want shooter's muffs pretty much. You can also get away with earplugs um, as long as they're good earplugs, to my understanding. If you're particularly paranoid and you've been to too many like metal shows, you can um, double up and wear both like foam earplugs and, uh, and ear muffs. Um, yeah, yeah, that one, that works very well. Uh, I personally use, uh, I think they're called Peltor, mm-hmm. Peltor earmuffs that have like a microphone. Mm-hmm. Um, so that way you can... 
you can communicate with other people at the range and stuff like that and you can hear everything around you but when a shot goes off the microphones um they cut all sound Mm -hmm. at a certain decibel level they cut sound um those are really cool and they're fairly affordable if you know you're gonna invest in things like that yeah they're like 30 or 40 bucks i think yeah Um, and there's you know nicer ones and mm -hmm. shit but as long as they got the microphone and they cut out i think that's good enough yeah and also mm -hmm. i wanted to just to I wanted to share like the two main learning objectives of the trainings that I run. I think they apply to everything we talked about today. Mm-hmm. Um, is that your training ultimately? So there's two things. The first one is that ultimately, your training should you should be able to. When it comes down to it, uh, you should be able to use whatever weapon system, gun, whatever mm-hmm. that you have, effectively in cases of self defense. Mm-hmm. That's all that really matters. And two. The, the other important thing is that you are able to retain all your training and pass it on to your friends, pass it on to your community members and, you know, the people you care about. Ah, no, that's good. I, I'm, I'm really into this idea that there's a, I hate hierarchies, but I've created one for about prepping, which is that um, gear is at the bottom. It, it, it matters, but it, yeah. it matters the least. Skills are above that, but then even more than that, relationships and communities. Absolutely. Um, Absolutely. Yep. And so that's an interesting, that's a good way to plug that in is that like, yeah, like once you know this stuff, like help people understand it, like even stuff like if anyone comes and stays at my house, I'm like, hey, can we talk about the guns in my house? And like, I'm going to show you how that you know that this gun is unloaded, but I'm also going to tell you not to touch the gun unless you know what you're doing, you know? Totally. Yeah, Um, totally. Uh, so you run this, uh, you run this training and you, it's, it's, it's free to, um, queer and trans black and indigenous people of color. Right. Um, is there a way that people can donate to your training of, of people? Absolutely. Uh, if you're interested in supporting free basic firearms and armed self-defense training for queer and trans black indigenous and people of color, Mm -hmm. um, you can make a donation to the cash app. The cash app is dollar sign A R M Q T B I P O C. The Venmo is also A R M Q T B I P O C. Um, 100% of all the donations that I get go to ammunition, training devices, transportation, uh, eye and ear protection, um, and whatever else participants in my training need. Okay. Um, well, thank you so much for being on the show, and maybe we'll have you back on a for a more intermediate or advanced class at some point if you're okay with that. Yeah, I'd love that. Thank you for having me. Thank you so much for listening. If you enjoyed this episode, please consider donating to Ronan's training fund. And also, uh, thank you to everyone who's been telling people about the podcast, who's been rating it and reviewing it and subscribing to it and telling people about it on Twitter and even better telling people about it in real life because word of mouth is still a more powerful force. And, um, just uh, thanks for the, the outpouring of support and the questions and the suggestions about how I can go about doing this podcast as effectively as possible. If you'd like to support this podcast more directly, you can do so by supporting me on Patreon. My Patreon is patreon.com slash Margaret Kildroy. And I put up a lot of zines and music and a bunch of other stuff. But also, if you, if you live off of less money than I make on Patreon, 
then don't give me money and just message me and I'll get you all of my content for free because I don't know, that's the way the world should work. And yeah, but I'd like to in particular thank some of my Patreon backers. I'd like to thank Chris and Nora and Haas the dog and Kirk and Willow, Natalie, Sam, Christopher, Shane, and the compound. Just, I don't know. Thank you all so much for making this possible and thank you for listening. I hope you all are doing as well as you can, all things considered. 